Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimat Karsandu from Toronto in Canada, bringing you our weekly dose of fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. Transatlantic fighting chat. And uh, yeah, how's it been going, Sandu? It's a little bit of a calm week. It's not gone too crazy, but still plenty to get our teeth stuck into this week. I'll tell you what, Simon, I really enjoyed living on the Eastern time zone this, this weekend, especially on Sunday. I woke up and enjoyed the, the Monaco Grand Prix, bit of F1. Followed that by watching Tottenham win and uh, getting into the Europa Conference League and also avoiding... There's nothing to celebrate. <laughs> listen, and more importantly, also to avoid St. Totteringham's Day for, I think, the fifth <laughs> year in a row. So there you go. Shove that up your, you know what, Arsenal fans. <laughs> And uh, Arsenal fans, yeah, and then uh, and then after that, it was just a full day of uh, the NBA playoffs. And um, so, if you're if, for a sports fan, listen, I paid my dues. You know, you're continuing to pay your dues living in the UK. <laughs> you know, it's if you enjoy sports, especially European sports and American sports, it can get tough with the time zone difference and obviously, you know, staying up super super late. But being able to wake up early Sunday morning and just enjoy every single sport, you know, as it's intended without having to use any Red Bull or coffee or anything like that is great. And look, listen, the sun, the sun is shining, Simon. It's summertime here now. It's nice. We can't really go out and about too much. Um, it's still locked down, but just kind of going out for a bit of a walk and doing a few bits and pieces is, is nice. And, uh, and yeah, so not the biggest week in terms of the, the UFC and MMA ahead, but we had a lot to look back on and a lot to reflect on this past weekend. There was some good action. There was. I was burning the midnight oil on, on both nights. Um, I got lured in by uh, the UFC start time and it, it hit. They always do this, right? Whenever whenever the <laughs> UFC do a fight night and it's just a little bit early, you think, oh, great. The prelims start at 10. This is great. And then you think, oh, yeah, the main card starts at like one or two or whatever it is. And then you get to like half three in the morning and you haven't had a tactical nap and you're absolutely hanging and the main card, main event is going to the fifth decision out of six fights. It's like, oh my goodness me, what was I doing? But the fights were decent. The fights were decent. And uh, let's just roll straight in. That main event, Sandy, Rob Font and Cody Garbrandt was a big fight at £135. Garbrandt, of course, a former UFC world champion looking to get his way back in. Rob Font finally getting some uh, some well-deserved uh, opportunities at the sharp end of that division on a good run of form. And we said leading in, this is going to be like a striker's paradise. If you like watching uh, the striking arts in uh, in MMA, this would be a good one. And Rob Font, I thought, looked absolutely superb. He got the decision. Uh, one very weird scorecard. One of the judges gave it 48-47. Um, I gave Font every single round, and so did the other two judges, 50-45. Uh, but... I thought Font was superb. Just work behind that jab. It's an underutilized technique in MMA, the jab. But Font just really showed how valuable it is against a guy whose knockout power is is well known at 135. Garbrandt barely laid a glove on him. And uh, Font, I thought, looked absolutely superb. Biggest win of his career so far, I reckon. What do you think? Massive, Simon. Absolutely massive. I mean, your first main event on a fight night card and you're fighting a former UFC champion. And let's be honest, one of the the bigger names in those lower weight classes. It's why 
the UFC and Garbrandt were kind of almost pushing him into an immediate title shot at flyweight, which obviously got scuppered with him getting COVID and what have you. But that's a, that's a big name and a, and a great name on your resume. And I mean, if you look at Rob Font's resume now, speaking of his, his, his CV, Simon, Sergio Pettis, he's got a win over Sergio Pettis, the current Bellator bantamweight champion. He has a win, Simon, over Marlon Moraes, the, car, uh, the, the former WSOF bantamweight champion. And now he's got a, a win over Cody Garbrandt, who is a former UFC bantamweight champion. That is some serious names on your resume. And, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that the, 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 the current title picture is tied up with Aljamain Sterling on the sidelines... It'd be a clear-cut situation. Rob Font, in. In right now. Give him a title shot. But, obviously, we've got a weird situation at, at 135 pounds. It seems like, Simon, if Al Jermaine Sterling is going to be on the sidelines for the, the remainder of the year, or at least the, the foreseeable future, you've got Peter Yan snapping at the bits to get back in action. Yeah. Would, would an interim title fight make sense at this stage? Or, or what do you do? You've got... You've got you know, TJ Dillashaw and Corey Sandhagen fighting fairly soon. What would you do with regards to the Bantamweight situation right now if you're trying to get a path going for Rob Font right now for the remainder of 2021? I like the interim title fight idea. I think um, it all depends on how long uh, we're going to be without Aljo at the top of that division. If he's if he's going to require the rest of 2020 off, uh, sorry, rest of 2021 rather off, Peter Yen needs to get himself back in the mix. He needs to fight again. Um, he might be happy to sit and wait. I mean, he's got a title opportunity there. So he needs incentivizing to fight someone else. So an interim title belt is probably the next best thing that you can give him. So you can give him give him a main event, a payday, an interim title. Um, and obviously, if he wins that, he's a shoe in to then go back in and face Aljo in a champion versus champion fight in early 2022. That makes a lot of sense. You've got the Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw fight, which is going to happen later this year. That, I think, is an ideal fight for the division. That absolutely should not have a belt on it. With all respect to, to Corey Sanhagen, um, TJ Dillashaw should not be coming back and fighting for a title after a drug ban. Like He needs to earn his, earn his, uh, earn his shot. If he beats Corey Sanhagen, he's right in there, right? So um, the worry, if you're Rob Font, is that the UFC keeps that PDN... Algermain Sterling rematch intact and then Font is the odd man out he's just got to sit there and wait um, even in his post-fight interview he kind of said well I'll take on the winner of this or I'll take on you know he, he didn't bang the table for a title fight because I think he knows he's not going to get one so the only way is if the UFC institute an interim belt and to be honest if Aljo's out for the rest of 2021 that makes total sense to me I like that idea I think I think they should they should do that it keeps the division rolling it builds, it really builds the Yan Sterling rematch even more if Yan goes out and beats Font. Um, and if it doesn't, then Aljo's got himself a new challenger when he comes back. But um, yeah, I just think that I just think that, that that makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, I agree. I really like that fight, Simon. Um, what do you do for if you're Cody Garbrandt right now? Because he's you know not had a really good run. Obviously, you know I talked about the fact that. He's had a bout of COVID over the last year, and I saw some people talking about maybe has this affected his performance. You know, he, he was decent in the early rounds, 
But as the fight went on to the th- rounds three, round four, round five, you can tell he was gassing. He didn't. He lost a bit of pep in his step. He's only won one fight, Simon, in his last five. Yeah. Two losses back to back to Tito Dillashaw, a loss to Pedro Munoz, and now a loss to Rob Font. I mean, do you do what people will be talking about with regards to Tony Ferguson? Do you kind of say, hey, listen, we've got to build this guy back up again, give him lower competition? Do you try and maybe go the flyweight route again in the foreseeable future? Like, what's the plan for Cody Garbrandt right now? Because it's uh, it's tough times for no love. It is, it is. And, you know, losing four of your last five is, is tricky. If there's any kind of silver lining to the fact that he got beat at the weekend, he didn't get stopped this time. I think that was the big worry. When he lost the previous three, um, they were all stoppage defeats. And it was like, oh, is he getting a bit chinny? We've got a problem here. Can he take the, you know, can he take decent shots at 135 pounds? Has he taken too many? But against Font, he, he took some good shots against Font and just kept coming. So I think that's a that's kind of a silver lining. It's a bit of a positive you can look at. But yeah, he's not going to be involved in the title picture. I don't like the idea of him moving down to 25. I know he said that he wants to be a two-division champion by the time he retires. He's got the bantamweight belt. He wants to drop down and give 25 a go. But I don't know. For someone who's been been stopped three times out of his last five fights, I don't know if moving down a weight is a good idea. Um I don't know. I mean, maybe he just needs a gatekeeper fight for now. Get himself a win. Take on a, a Merab Dvalishvili or, a, you know, a Jimmy Rivera or Cody Stamen who's looking to move his way up. Kyla Phillips. These guys are sort of ranked in that sort of 10 to 15 range and are moving up. Um, a fight against one of those gives the, gives those prospects the opportunity to then break break into the top 10 and become a legit contender. But it also gives Garbrandt the opportunity to show where his level is at, at £135. He should beat any of those guys, based on the fact that he's a former champion. But is he on the decline? If he if he can't beat one of those guys, then I think that's a sign that you know we've got a problem here. Because, yeah, he's lost these fights. And you, just, you know it's very easy to just look at wins and losses and go, this isn't good. But they're all against world, like legit world-class opposition. So... Let's move him down just to just a nudge and see how he gets on. I mean, there's the Dominic Cruz rematch you could do, um, you know, which was when he actually won the bantamweight belt back in 20, 2016. Cruz is still knocking around the division. Maybe that's a fight they could revisit, but um, it certainly wouldn't have the same knockout threat that, that, that some of the other contenders have because Cruz doesn't go around and knock people out. He just out outmaneuvers them and, and beats you by decision normally. So um, it's a tough one. He needs a win. I mean, if he loses his next one, then it's it's going to be it's going to be tricky for him for sure. Yeah, the Dominic Cruz fight is the one that I think would make most sense. So it's a big name. You'll probably end up, if not a, a fight night main event, uh, a solid, you know, position on on a main card. You've obviously got history there. I'm sure Dominic Cruz would love to get that rematch and get that one back. And a win of Dominic Cruz right now at this stage is again, like you said. I don't think you're going to be worried about getting knocked out. And I guess it will give you a second chance to really test, you know, have the long-term effects of having COVID, you know, really had a major impact in terms of going a full, you know, hard 25 minutes with all with regards to stamina. Because typically that's what you're going to get from Dominic Cruz. You're going to get tested for 25 minutes, right? Um, and then if you can't beat Dominic Cruz at this stage of your career, then you can start to figure out, all right, you know, what, what do I need to do next? But yeah, for me, 
that's the fight that jumps off the page right now. But just to put a bow on the main event from my point of view, Simon, I just can't believe how stacked Bantamweight is. Bantamweight is so much fun. And like I know the yeah. situation with Aljamain Sterling isn't ideal with him being on the sideline and the controversy of him even winning the title. Um, but that aside, you just look down the list of names in that top 10 and you've got former champions, killers in their prime, people, who, you know, fighters who have kind of really climbed the ranks and made a name for themselves. It's, it's, it's all bubbling really nicely at 135 pounds right now. Yeah, it's one of the most exciting divisions in the UFC right now. And I think the key right now is to keep that momentum going at the top. And whether that means uh, we do an interim title fight with Peter Yan involved or some other way of doing it, I think that's what we need just to keep keep that bantamweight division moving. And then when Aljo's good to come back, he's stepping straight into a red-hot division again. And uh, if he wins his first title defence, then uh, you know he's off and running. And uh, it's going to be a very busy 2022 at 135 pounds. Now, if you just look at the, the results of Saturday night's card, a lot of decisions on the card, but we had some really important performances for, for a number of people on that card. We had a TKO in the co-main event, and it was arguably the biggest win of Carla Esparza's career since she lost her UFC Women's Strawweight title. She was the inaugural Women's Strawweight champion, coming out of tough, winning the title fight. Um, she got absolutely demolished by Yuani and Jacek, and it was like, blimey, has she come back from that? It's taken her some time. Now she's back, and she defeated Yan Nan in really, really impressive fashion. Second round TKO. Uh, just used her wrestling brilliantly, finished her on the ground, and uh, I thought that was that was a top performance. And you're looking at the strawweight division right now, and there's options at the top of that division. But I think Carla Esparza has done a hell of a job in getting herself back up to the the sharp end of that division, and I think she's she's deserving of another shot at the belt. What do you reckon? Absolutely, Simon. I mean, first of all, she handed Zhao. Let me pronounce this properly. Yan Zhao Nan. Handed her her first loss in MMA in like, what, 10 or 11 years, number one. Number two, that was the first loss in her UFC run. She's been pretty much flawless. You know, I mean, look at some of the names. Karolina Kowalkiewicz, you know, Claudia Gadella, Angela Hill. There's some serious names on Janan's resume. And here comes Carla Esparza. Right out the gate, takes her down, dominates that first round. And, and then obviously in the second round, you know, puts her in the crucifix, crucifix position and just like drills those elbows and, and you know, hammer fists uh, uh, to, to get the TKO in. Just an incredible performance. I was blown away by Carla Esparza's performance. And I agree with you. I think this is her best performance since she won the UFC Strawweight Championship. The one thing it kind of made me think, though, is like, why didn't the UFC promote this as a title eliminator. Why didn't they promote this as a number one contender? Because you look at both women and look at their resume and what they've done up until, you know, meeting on Saturday night. And it's easy. It's clear cut. And then I, then they started to kind of really kind of sit on it. And I, and I thought to myself, you know what? I think the UFC are absolutely hell bent on making Rose Nami Yunus versus Zhang Bailey too. Because, if they weren't, then this would have been something that we would have heard in the broadcast. Oh, these two are fighting for, you know, the, the opportunity to fight Rose next. And it would have been something that Dana White would have come out after the fact and after the fight in his post-fight interview and double stamp. He didn't. He kind of just kind of said, hey, Carla, we see you. 
we hear you, but we've made no decisions. And what's interesting about the strawweight division right now is you've got the champion, Rosnami Yunus. You've got the former champion, Zhang Veili. And now you've got another former champion in Carla Esparza. All, Simon, managed by the same agency, Sucker Punch. And yeah. so they've got probably a bit of an issue and a bit of a headache on their hands because you know you know what it's like, Simon. The big payday is becoming champion, right? And and Carla Esparza wants another crack at being champion again, which would be pretty phenomenal. Could you imagine if she were to beat Rose or you know whoever is a champion when she gets a, a chance again? Oh, what five six years after losing the championship the first time around really fascinating story to monitor right now in that ufc strawweight division in terms of who's going to get that next crack but if, if if it's me i think the ufc just you know reading reading the tea leaves here i think they're going to do the rematch between rose and Zhang veili but man it you know carla esparza right now simon absolutely 100 deserves a shot and listen that would also be a rematch i'm sure rose also wants a crack you know, at Carla Esparza after all these years to prove that she is the better fighter. It's just incredible drama at the top of that strawweight division, Si. There are narratives all over the place. You can throw Yuani and Jacek into the mix as well because she, she she's ranked second. I don't know what her fitness situation is uh, at the moment, whether she's still uh, nursing injuries or anything, but if she's ready to come back, there are all manner of different angles the UFC can go down here. You got Joanna versus Zhang Wali was one of the greatest fights of all time, men or women. So they could easily make that as the number one contender fight if they wanted to do that. But I tend to agree with you. I think they want the Zhang Wali Rose Nami Yunus rematch as soon as possible. What that might set up is Carla Esparza versus Joanna and Jacek. That would be a rematch. Joanna, of course, taking the belt from from Carla um, in in brutal fashion. She just totally took her apart. That would be a very interesting rematch all these years down the line. Uh, and it would be an acid test of Carla Esparza's championship credentials. If she gets past Joanna, then she's a shoe-in for a title shot. Um, so whichever way you do it, you know, Rose versus Carla's got a backstory. Carla versus Joanna's got a backstory. Uh, Zhang Wei-Li versus Joanna's got a backstory. Zhang Wei-Li versus Rose has got a backstory. The only one that hasn't is Carla versus Zhang Wei-Li, and I don't think they're going to book that fight anyway. So uh, however this all planned, pans out, we're going to see two absolutely barnstorming fights at the top of that women's strawweight division. I'd love to see them both on the on the same card. I think that would be a fantastic thing. Um but yeah, it's uh it's all it's all hotting up at 115 pounds. It's great to see. And you got Mackenzie Dern is on superb form. She's ranked fifth. Marina Rodriguez is on the way up. She beat uh Michelle Waterson. She's sixth. She's on her way up as well. There's a lot going on at 115 pounds and it is going to be a lot of fun seeing how that all pans out as we go through the rest of the year. Now, that was the only finish on the card, on, on, on the main card, Sandy, but there, there were some interesting results on the card. Jared Vandera got his first win in the UFC. Bit of a surprise beating Justin Tuffer. Norma Dumont upset uh, former title challenger Felicia Spencer at Featherweight. Ricardo Ramos beat Bill Algio. Uh, but the one I wanted to talk to you about was a fight that we kind of spoke at length about last week. Jack Hermanson versus Evan Shabazian. We weren't sure... Well, you know, quite how it was going to go, whether we were going to lean towards Hermanson and his grappling skills or uh, Eben Shabazian and his striking skills. Um, I think we both ended up going with uh, Hermanson in the end. And that's how it hit, how it played out. You know, Shabazian had a decent start and then Hermanson just took over and he ended up with a 10-8, I think, in the, uh, 
either in the second round or third round. I, th- I think it was the second round. But um, he really did. He really did put a beating on him by the end of that fight. And uh, Hermanson's still very much a factor at 185 pounds. Yeah, great win for Jack Hermanson just to get back on the win column there. And it kind of played out with kind of how I guess we kind of talked about it last week, didn't we? In terms of just, I remember saying that I felt like Jack Hermanson's just kind of got that grown man strength, you know, being in his 30s and Shabazzian still in his early 20s and perhaps still trying to like grow into his body. But the one thing that's clear at this stage, Simon, is the grappling department is an area that Shabazzian really needs to put a lot of work into. I mean, you look at his, his CV, you look at his resume and yeah, it's littered with knockout and TKO wins there. So clearly, you know, when it comes to the striking and the stand-up, the guy knows what he's doing. And that first round, you know, he really kind of put it on Jack Hermanson. And and I think Jack's cornerman kind of had a bit of a, you know, uh, you know, telling off saying, hey, listen, mate, you need to get this guy on the ground. And the second he did that, rounds two and round three were so dominant in Hermanson's favor. And it kind of really showed the disparity between the, the 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 ability on the ground there between the two guys. So, you know, Edmund Shabazian now, Simon, after coming into the UFC, you know, completely undefeated, starts off on a good run. Now he's lost back-to-back fights. He didn't get finished this time around, but Derek Brunson, Jack Hermanson are legitimate top 10 guys, legitimate top 10 guys who have, you know, fought the best in the division have kind of had the ups and downs. They've got tons of experience, especially in the UFC. And I feel, feel like if the UFC are going to be invested in, in Edmund Shabazzian, the golden boy, long-term here, they're going to need to bring it back down to earth a little bit, give him some time to develop as a fighter, and then build him back up and give him lesser competition um, to see if he can improve in some areas that he's clearly lacking in. With regards to Jack, you know, Hermanson right now, Simon, you know, he, he did a great job in his post-fight interview. He basically called out essentially everyone in the top five or top six in the division. Smart move. You know, that's that's what you've got to do. You know, you've got to call your shot. And, you know, not, not too long ago, we thought that we could have an all-European affair with Darren Till. I'd still like to see that happen at some point down the road. But really happy for Jack. And even uh, threw in uh, you know, a bit of a call out to Chase Hooper and Ben Askren in terms of wanting to be a part of the, the, the family with regards to the lettuce he's got on top of his head. So I thought that was all good fun with the Joker. Oh, no, it was, it was good. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a really good performance. A really good performance. And uh, yeah, he kind, of, he kind of said, look, if, no one, if, if, if you can't get a fight, Robert Whittaker, then I'll, I'm happy to take you on, you know? And it was, I, th- I, think, I think that was kind of a smart thing to do. Um, you know, it wasn't a direct call out because he's, it is a little bit of a stretch from where he is in the rankings and the fact that he's coming back off, off a defeat that I think he knows he can't go making too much noise, but uh, Hermanson is a dangerous, dangerous test for anybody at 185 pounds, very awkward style. And if he gets you down to the mat, then uh, it can get pretty messy as Edmund Shabazian will be able to, uh, to explain to you after Saturday night. One more fight I wanted to mention to you, and it was the, the, uh, the prelim headliner, I suppose you call it. Ben Rothwell, um, I love watching Ben Rothwell. He's one of my favourite characters in MMA. He's been going for so long. Uh, and they put him in against Chris Chris Barnett, who making his debut, very exciting fighter, uh, five foot nine heavyweight, <laughs> and uh and he, he, he came in with a little bit of hype on him and had a, a good win streak. But Ben Rothwell did a great job and uh the stats book says he won by guillotine choke. He did not win by guillotine choke. 
people listening out there. He won by go-go choke, which uh, anybody who's watched Ben Rothwell fight a few times will know that is one of his go-to submissions. Uh, it's basically some sort of weird... It's, not, it's a bit like a 10-finger choke, but it isn't. And it's all about applying... I think it's applying pressure to the Adam's apple. Um, and I've, I've heard it's absolute agony, um, which is why Barnett was tapping like Fred Astaire as soon as Rothwell slapped it on. So uh, a big win for Big Ben on Saturday night. I just wanted to give that a quick mention before we move on, Sandu. Yeah, and one more shout-out I'd like to give, and that's to Bruno Gustavo da Silva. Fantastic knockout win in literally 60 seconds. So talk about being gone in the 60 seconds. He defeats Victor Rodriguez there in the first round. And then in his uh, post-fight antics, he had a prop sign. I don't know if you saw this, but he basically threw up uh, a sign which said 75K Dana. <laughs> uh, and I don't know what Tony Ferguson has started here, but I feel like a lot of fighters believe that that's the new norm now, that $75,000 is going to be the new performance of the night bonus. And that is certainly not the case. And I give him all the credit in the world for uh, trying to, to shimmy his way in getting, getting one of those bonuses, which were 50 K. He did not uh, ultimately get that. It, uh, it Sometimes though, it does make it a little bit disheartening. Simon, I'm not going to lie. When I see fighters win in spectacular fashion or just win in, in, in any fashion, really, and use a part of their post fight interview, or you know, post-fight um, scenes to to beg and plead for that bonus. It kind of hits me in the heart a little bit. I'm like, oh, I just wish these fighters were paid enough money or adequately enough money where they don't have to like, you know, actively call out and and almost beg for for that for that bonus. But hey ho, that's the business. That's the sport. That's where we're at, where we're at, especially with those guys that are lower on the totem pole, especially those guys that are fighting on the prelims. You got to do what you got to do sometimes, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, that aside, though, fantastic performance and a knockout in sixty seconds. And most of the knights would have gotten that bonus, but it wasn't the case this past weekend. Well, actually, he says checking the record. I've got in front of me here that he got a performance of the night. So oh, he did. He did. <laughs> he got. He didn't get seventy-five k though. He got fifty. That's right. So, yes. You know, he got. He. he you got you got two thirds of what he was hoping for, but fifty um, k is not not to be sniffed at. He didn't get his seventy five, but yeah, performances of the night went to Bruno Gustavo Silva and Carla Esparza, and they gave a fight of the night bonus to Jared Vandera and Justin Taffer for that heavyweight slugfest on the main card. So yes, he did get his bonus, so that was good for him. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you knock a guy out in in a, in a minute on a fight card that has only got four finishes on it. You got a pretty good shout of a bonus, haven't you? So you'd have to be pretty unlucky. Uh, the other finishes would have to be pretty spectacular to uh, to deprive you. And uh, yeah, happy to report he did get fifty k. So uh, that's I'm what sure threw me off. I felt he I felt didn't, like yeah, because he did he didn't get the seventy five k, and I thought he, he didn't got, get he got a the bonus, 50. but he did. Yeah, fantastic. He, okay, well, he, in that case, it ended up working out well for him then in, in many ways. Absolutely, it did, yeah. And uh, before we move on and, and and quickly talk about Bellator on on Friday night, yes, it was a bit of a night. It was a bit of a night of retirements, wasn't it? Uh, we had uh, halfway through the prelims, um, Alan Joban announced his retirement. He was working the desk um, at the UFC Apex along with Karen Bryant and Bilal Mohammed, and uh, they kind of surprised him. I think he'd retired a couple of days prior, but they ran a little VT thing and uh, paid a little bit of a tribute to him. Uh, Really classy individual. He fought over in uh, 
in London. Uh, might have been the last time we were there covering a UFC event in London. Um, he fought over in London and uh, top, top quality man. And, uh, you know, did a really good job in the UFC. Didn't quite make it to championship level, but was certainly a, a, a crowd-pleasing fighter in that 170-pound division. Uh, he hung his gloves up, so he did a nice little bit of VT for him. But the one that obviously grabbed all the headlines, Sandu, Paul Felder. Um, you could see him sort of holding back the emotions a little bit when he was announcing it. Um, and uh, I'm delighted for him that he's going out on his own terms. And he's, he's still got his job with the UFC as a commentator. He's really flourished in that role. And especially in, in the era of the uh, the three-man commentary booth, it's uh, he, he seems to work really well with uh, Brenda Fitzgerald and, uh, and Michael Bisbing in that, in, in that three-man team. And he's done a great job there. We're going to see, see and hear a lot more from him in that role, I am sure. I think he's even got a show on Fight Pass now with uh, Michael Chiesa. So, uh, you know, they're giving him stuff to do. And uh, he now he's now reached that point where he doesn't feel the need to pull the four-ounce gloves on and get in the cage, which, from a selfish point of view, is a shame because he's one of the most exciting fighters in the world at 155 pounds. He's had some absolute bangers. But for someone to be able to say, do you know what? I'm done. And to go out on his own terms, I think, you know, you can't wish any more for, you know, for, for a professional athlete like that. So uh, I tip my cat to you, Paul Felder, and uh, all the very best to you. And uh, looking forward to catching you uh, on UFC shows down the line. Yeah, here, here. That definitely was an announcement that caught me by surprise. Didn't see that one coming. And it was emotional. You could tell, like you said, Simon, he was kind of fighting back the tears a little bit, just kind of getting the words out there. And, you know, a great career. Listen, it's no mean feat to make it to the UFC, number one. And to, to have the fights and the performances that he's had and some of the opponents that he's been able to share the octagon with, you know, 1%, 1% get those opportunities and i thought it's pretty funny to see uh even conor mcgregor come out and uh, congratulate him on his retirement just given their history and their back and forth on on social media so good bit of banter between the, the lads there but yeah absolutely broadcast uh gig with the ufc he's got a show on fight pass i'm sure this will now allow him to really delve into some other projects um he now doesn't have to worry about training 24-7 as a full-time fighter anymore. The world is quite literally his oyster. Um, so there's there's plenty of things he's going to be able to do uh, with his life here on out moving forward. And all the best to the Irish dragon, Paul Felder. And I'm sure he'll be sticking around the MMA world for a long, long time yet. Yeah, 17-6 and six was his, uh, was his professional, professional record. But the people he shared the cage with, you know, he's had two fights with Edson Barboza. He's been in there with Dan Hooker, Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, and none, none of these guys stopped him. He's only been stopped once in the UFC, and that was the doctor stoppage halfway through the final round against Francisco Trinaldo in Brazil. Um, everything else has just been all-out bangers, every single fight. Um you know, he's been in there with a couple of Brits as well. He knocked out Stevie Ray back in 2017. He lost a split decision to Ross the Real Deal Pearson back in 2015. So he's someone who uh, we've crossed paths with a few times. Um, I remember chatting to him over a, over a pint of Guinness in uh, in Belfast, of, of all places. He was working. Uh, was he working or was he fighting? I'm trying to remember. But he was over there for that, I think, and uh, had a good chat with him. Uh, and he's he's a top man. He's a top man, just a, a down-to-earth good guy and uh, 
just the sort of guy that you want on 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 a UFC commentary desk as well. So uh, looking forward to seeing and hearing a lot more from him going forward. That is the UFC this weekend, but we have Bellator as well, Sandy. So by the time I got to the end of that fight night on Saturday night, I was a mess. And the reason for that was I'd done two two nights back to back with basically no sleep, um, which is completely stupid on my part. But hey, this is this is how I sometimes do things. Bellator was a, was a lot of fun. It really was a lot of fun. Wasn't the most fun if you're a fan of watching the Brits do well because in the main they didn't they didn't really have the best of nights. We had four Brits on the card and only one of them picked up a win and that was Leah McCourt in a fight that she looked like she was on her way to losing as well. Um, she'd missed weight during the week. Uh, supposed to hit 146 for the featherweight fight with uh, Janae Harding. Could only manage 149.4. So she obviously lost, I think she lost like 20% of her purse. Um, and looked like she was on her way to losing the fight. Janae Harding was sort of lighting her up with strikes. And uh, Leah McCourt caught with a huge up kick. Um, as Harding kind of stumbled forward, she slapped on a triangle choke and bang, got the win. Superb. She's got all the heart in the world, Leah McCourt, and uh, she picked up a win. But she was the only British winner, Sandu. We had Alfie Davis. Uh, he lost out to debutant Alexander Shabley in the first first fight of the night. Brett Johns on his Bellator debut, he lost out to Danny Sabatello, who's a former Contender Series uh, winner. Uh, never got his chance in the UFC. Bellator have snapped him up, and he looks like he's going to be a problem. It wasn't a very pretty fight to watch, but Sabatello got the win on the scorecards against Brett Johns, so he'll go back to the drawing board. And then on the main card, we had Fabian Edwards against Austin Vanderford. Uh, and it was a decent fight, but Van der Ford's wrestling proved to be the the crucial the crucial factor. He got the he got the decision win, but um, it was really all about that main event, wasn't it? Chris Cyborg versus Leslie Smith. Did you get to catch that fight, Sandu? I did. Um, I'm quite lucky here in Canada where I'm doing my my SmackDown shift for BT Sport, and then essentially because Bellator are holding their events on Friday nights, as soon as my shift ends, I flick it onto YouTube because they're broadcasting their, their shows right now on YouTube. And I'm able to just catch the, the, the majority of the main card. And on this occasion, um, I was actually a bit more busy than I normally am after SmackDown ended. But I did tune in for the Chris Cyborg fight. And man, she absolutely murked Leslie Smith. It was a one-sided affair all the way through. She got the finish late, like really late in the fifth round, I think with nine seconds to spare in the fight. And I think I, sh- I, think I saw her tweet that that was the game plan all along, that her, her, her team didn't want her to finish the fight early. Her team wanted her to really drag the fight out as long as possible so she can really showcase um, some of the stuff that she's been working on. But man, Simon, you know, you take away that Amanda Nunes loss uh, in the UFC, which obviously is the one that everyone's going to kind of automatically refer to when it comes to who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest female fighter of all time? Listen, Chris Cyborg, if she's not number one, she's number two. And that's still not a bad position to be in, right? Chris Cyborg has entered Bellator with a win over Julia Budd, Arlene Benkow, and Leslie Smith. And she even left the UFC with a win. She beat Felicia Spencer. So she's running a four-fight win streak now, Simon. She's won every single belt in every single promotion she's been in. She's 35 years old, and she's still producing the goods at the highest level. So what can you say? Nothing but props to Chris Cyborg Santos. And, you know, I feel like there's one fight that's really 
available for her at Bellator. It's the one opponent she hasn't shared the cage with and is under the Bellator roster, and that is Kat Zingano. So it looks like that's the fight that we're kind of heading towards, and I'd love to see it, if I'm being honest. I think Kat Zingano brings a lot to the table, um, and I think would be probably her toughest test in quite some time, perhaps since the Amanda Nunes fight. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it probably is. Um, I mean, you know, the thing the thing with Chris Cyborg is she's still getting better. This is the thing. She's fighting... She, she's blitzed through her opponents so frequently during the course of her career. I think it's almost been to her own detriment because she hasn't been pushed. And then when she eventually went in there with Amanda Nunes, she just fought the same way she always fought up to that point, which is just foot to the foot to the floor, every, sort of unload maximum power with every punch. And unfortunately, she got caught by Amanda Nunes, who, who hits every bit as hard, if not harder, than she does. And then she lost her featherweight title because of it. But since then, she's gone in. She's beat Felicia Spencer. She beat Julia Budd. Uh, and she was a lot more technical against Julia Budd. She then beat Arlene Blenko, who's a former boxer. Um, but the, the notable thing about that, that was a submission win. Her first career submission uh, in what was her 25th fight, <laughs> which is madness. Uh, but I think that was her first career submission. And then, obviously, she's gone and beat Leslie Smith. I was watching that Leslie Smith fight and I, I was I was a bit disappointed from a purely selfish point of view because I'd been up a long time and I thought, right, Cyborg beat Leslie Smith in like 81 seconds or something first time round. This one might go a bit longer, but I don't expect it to go past the second round. And I thought Cyborg was just pacing herself. She was aiming, you know, like like she said, she wanted to do most of the most of the five rounds and that's how it looked to me. I thought she if she'd have put her foot to the pedal at any point from like round two onwards, I think she maybe could have got the finish. Um, but that wasn't the aim of the game for her on, on Friday night. I think she wanted to prove that she was evolving as a fighter, and she did. She fought to a game plan, did a great job of it. And then when it was time to get the finish, she got the finish. Nine seconds to go. So props to her. Ruined my Friday night sleep. But hey, she's got she got to worry about that. But um, no, I thought that was a superb performance. And Kat Zingano at the moment really is the only fight for her at 145 pounds in Bellator. Um, there's been there's been increased conversations about Kayla Harrison and what she might do after the PFL. Could she join the UFC? Could she join Bellator? Um, you know, I think e- either way, she's going to have a huge fight. You know, Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison would be a fantastic matchup. Amanda Nunes versus Kayla Harrison eventually would be a, a fantastic matchup. Their their teammates at ATT, of course, uh, wouldn't have that problem with Chris Cyborg who trains out of. Uh, the, uh, the Rucker Training Center with uh, Jason Prillo uh, down in California. So, um, yeah, that would be, it'd be interesting to see wherever Kayla Harrison lands. I think that's that's going to be really, really good for the, the women's featherweight division either way. But Cyborg's just bossing it. And uh, she's a great role model for the sport. And uh, little uh, side note, they did a little VT Sandy before a fight. And she had this, she's got a pet pig. And she had this pet pig and she was explaining that when she got this pet, this pet pig, that it was only sort of this size, sort of kind of small. And they told her that it wouldn't grow that big. And then the camera cuts this massive, great big pig in her backyard. The name of the pig is Manny Porkyow, Sandu. Manny Porkyow. That is genius. <laughs> that is genius. I tweeted that it was genius and got very little response to it. But hey, Twitter's like that sometimes. I don't care. My jokes are good. Chris Cyborg's jokes are better. 
if you're calling your pig Manny Pacquiao, then you know you deserve you deserve all the belts, as far as I'm concerned. That was that was outstanding. Yeah, that that's good banter right there by naming your pig Manny Pacquiao. Um, speaking of boxing, Simon, uh, what a great segue this is. Um, oh, smooth. We've uh, <laughs> we've got some we've got some news with regards to some British heavyweight boxers who, unfortunately, for the time being, are not going to be meeting anytime soon, are they? It's nuts. That, that, like, just this is why boxing infuriates me, right? Because they take too long to make the big fights happen, and then. When they do, they're inevitably a letdown, right? And we saw it with Pacquiao versus uh, Mayweather. It happened about five years after it should have done. And the fight was a... Com- Box office-wise, massive. Entertainment-wise, absolute absolute dud. No good, right? So um, it's all about making the big fights when you need to. And they finally signed a deal, didn't they? Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, two-fight deal. First fight was going to go down August the 14th. Um, in uh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, the only real controversy over that was the fact that it was going to happen in Saudi Arabia rather than at Wembley Stadium where two Brits in front of 80,000 fans would have been awesome. But instead, they've gone for the Saudi Arabia money. Uh, that's just how the sport is, you know, biggest payday possible, right? All was well, or so we thought. It was literally a day or two after it was sort of officially announced that this was happening that Deontay Wilder had had uh, his claim for a trilogy fight with Tyson Fury had been upheld by an arbitration court. Basically said, yeah, Tyson Fury owes him a uh, a trilogy fight, contractually. And the WBC immediately said, well, okay, this fight needs to happen. And they, you know, they slapped a deadline on it. And uh, on Saturday night, I think it was, uh, Friday night or Saturday night? I think it was Saturday night. Tyson Fury uh, on social media, uh, videoed himself signing the contract. He will fight Deontay Wilder in in uh, July, I think it is, uh, this year. And uh, it's amazing. So all of a sudden, we've got a situation where Tyson Fury was going to fight Joshua. He's now fighting Deontay Wilder for a third time, having not lost to him in either of the previous two fights. Um, it also now means that we're going to see Anthony Joshua, it seems, defending his WBO title at the very least, against Alexander Usyk, uh, former uh, Cruiserweight world champion. Um, and um, that's going to be most likely his next fight. So uh, lots of musical chairs going on in the heavyweight boxing world at the moment, Sandu. But um, hopefully both those guys win and then we get the big fight we want maybe at the end of the year. But this is boxing. This is sport. Anything could happen. We saw what happened with Andy Ruiz uh, beating Anthony Joshua and throwing everything into disarray. Usyk is a much better fighter than uh, than Andy Ruiz. So, uh, yeah, very interesting to see how this all goes. Simon, in a way, I'm kind of glad there's structures in place that protects and, I guess, helps fighters in boxing get what's owed to them contractually, right? So from Wilde's perspective, you know, he lost his fight, his last fight to Fury. But again, contractually, as it's all come out now, he's owed his rematch. He's owed his fight. And... If you're in the the wilder camp right now, you know justice has been justice has prevailed. You know you've got another chance to 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 right that wrong and, and also let's be honest, get another major payday to fight Tyson Fury. And then on the Usyk side, he's the mandatory challenger next in line 
to fight Anthony Joshua. So again, everything sort of worked out for those two lads. The, the just the the annoying part about this whole thing is is purely from a fan perspective, purely from a boxing business, boxing industry, boxing sport perspective, especially from a British boxing perspective, Fury versus Joshua is one of the biggest fights of all time on paper, one of the biggest fights in our lifetimes, Simon. It's been God knows how many years since we've had an undisputed heavyweight British boxer hold every single belt. And and the great thing about Fury Joshua is we know it's not going to be just one and done. There's going to be a rematch. It's you're going to get two at the very least. And just the the media, the hype and the promotion, everyone was just salivating. And we thought we were at the finish line. And that's the biggest thing. It's the tease of it all. It's the tease of thinking we were almost there and paper papers and contracts and negotiations and we've got this site fee in Saudi Arabia all sorted and we thought we were there Simon and literally at the at the 11th hour the rug got pulled from from under us and and here we are and now I think if you're just a casual fan of boxing if you're just a um, a purist if you're someone that's kind of just down the middle you're just hoping and praying Simon especially if you're a British boxing fan that no one slips on the old banana peel here. No one, you know, messes up. All Joshua and Fury both need to do now is handle their collective business individually, win their next fights, don't lose, don't get injured, nothing crazy happens. And then we can come back to the table and get this fight done for our guests now, you know, 2022. And, and maybe in the long run, it's, it's, it's the right thing, it's the best thing in terms of getting to a stadium, maybe getting to Wembley Stadium. With fans, you know, packing the arena versus Saudi Arabia, which yes, is a sight fee there, and you're going to make a lot of money. But let's be honest, a fight of that magnitude needs to be in Raider Stadium in Las Vegas or Wembley Stadium in in, in the UK in England. So it's unfortunate we've got to hit the pause on that fight for the time being. But Ao, like you said, Simon, that is the world of boxing. And on the flip side of everything I just said, it's kind of why we love the UFC so much, isn't it, Simon? It's because the majority of the best MMA fighters are under one promotion and the majority of the time the best fight the best consistently and that's why we love the UFC yeah absolutely I mean it's it's nuts isn't it I mean like the the, the, the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury rematch the original rematch was the fight the boxing world wanted to see this third fight is the fight that no one in the boxing world cares about unless you're Deontay Wilder. I, I genuinely believe that. I don't think, unless you're part of Deontay Wilder's uh, circle, promotion, or any uh, anything to do with his business, that's not a fight that, you know, everything has been moving towards this point of having an undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And then all of a sudden, a guy who has had two goes at Tyson Fury and has failed on both occasions, has managed... I mean, let's be honest, he's getting his fight because it's in a contract, right? So he deserves it because that's what was negotiated. So we have to we have to say that. But from a from a sports fan point of view, this isn't the fight the world wants to see. You know when Michael Buffer gets in the middle of the ring and goes, This is a moment you've all been waiting for. Well it isn't, right? This is the moment no one was waiting for. This is the moment that everyone thought was done when Tyson Fury finished him in the seventh round first time uh, in, in 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 the rematch, right? So what we want, the moment we've all been waiting for 
is Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury for all the belts. That's the moment we've all been waiting for. So I know it's part of the shtick. You get in the ring. This is a moment we've all been waiting for. No, it isn't. It, it just isn't, right? So let's get it done. Deontay Wilder, of course, has got one of the hardest punches in, in heavyweight memory, right? So he could do this. He could go in there and spark out uh, Tyson Fury and absolutely ruin everything. Alexander Usyk, brilliant boxer. He could go out there and upset Anthony Joshua and ruin it for everybody. That could happen. These are not gimme fights. These are these are these are very very dangerous fights for both guys. What it means is if they both win those fights, it just means that the the unification fight will be even bigger, will be even better. But for goodness sake, just get the thing signed and sealed and dealt with because I don't want another situation where we have to wait for years and years and years and then we've got two guys who are shadows of their former self in there dancing around each other and earning insane amounts of money for a crap fight. So um, let's hope that all that all pans out. But yeah, it does show you the difference between the, 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 the models of boxing and MMA. What it does do, the fighters have a lot more control and a lot more power over what they do in boxing. Uh, but because of that, everything is a lot more fragmented. I think there's a happy medium to be struck somewhere. Um, but yeah, the good thing with the UFC is you tend to get the best fight the best, as you say. Um, and uh, that leads us on, I suppose, to uh, this coming weekend because the heavyweight division is kind of being showcased uh, at the Apex this coming weekend. Jozino Rosenstroke versus Augusto Sakai is the main event. Walt Harris versus Machin Tabura is the co-main event. Uh, you've even got Tana Bosa versus Ilya Latifi at heavyweight on the prelims. So we've got three heavyweight fights on the card. It's not the most glittering star-studded card, but I suspect it could be a fun one. And hopefully, judging by a lot of the fights being heavyweight fights, um, and the fact we've got a few finishes on the card as well, maybe we won't be up quite so late on Saturday night, Sandy. What do you reckon? Well, Simon, you say Saturday night. You mean two weeks from now, right? Because there is no UFC oh, this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm just, I'm just on this. I'm just on this. I barely look at the days now. I just think, right, what's next? What's next? So we've got a week off. This is great. I'll, I'll see it back. See, the M MMA gods weren't going to let me have a, a flubber with the uh, the old performance the night bonus with uh, Bruno da Silva earlier on, and, and not get get you as well, Simon. So, mean, they got you as well. So you know, I've been we are June off. the fifth. June the fifth. Yeah. We're off this week. It's the it's, it's quite quite a rare uh, Saturday night off for both of us, work wise. Um, it'll be fun to do something different. I'll probably still be at home watching sports on TV, probably watching the NBA playoffs because I've got nowhere else to go legally. Can't go anywhere else any, anyway. But we're off this week. Obviously, the UFC returns in two weeks' time with Rosenstruck uh, versus Sakai. And I think then it's you know going to really go into UFC 263 promotion mode. Adesanya versus Vittori 2 uh, in you know Glendale, Arizona with fans. You've got Figueredo versus Moreno. And the co-main event, co-main event for the flyweight title, and of course you've got our guy Leon Edwards, the Brum versus Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, uh, Stockton Zone. So, mate, it's going to be a great, you know, run up. And I'm not going to lie, I'm happy to have a bit of a break, recharge the batteries a little bit, because after this week, I think it's going to be just UFC events week after week after week for the entire summer. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'll, I'm going to be watching the Indianapolis 500, which is one of my favourite sporting events outside of MMA. 
Um, they were doing qualifying the other day. They're averaging over 230 miles an hour around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is insane. We had the Monaco Grand Prix at the weekend, which is one of the slowest races, on, or the slowest race on the F1 calendar. And then this weekend coming, we've got the, one of the fastest races on the planet, the Indy 500. So um, I'm going to be absolutely buzzing for that. And uh, yeah, a week off doesn't hurt. I might actually catch up on some sleep. You never know. But uh, yeah, so we've got Rosenstrike Rose Sakai June the 5th, Adesanya Vittori June the 12th, Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige. What a fight that's going to be on June the 19th. And Cyril Gann versus Alexander Volkov. That'll be a decent one as well on June the 26th. And then after that, a certain trilogy fight. Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor th- 3 will be on June the 10th. So there'll be a gap and then boom into that one as they kick off July. June's going to be pretty fun. Uh, and the Adesanya Vittori fight will, will be pretty good as well. What we'll do next week, we'll, we'll run through that fight card next week and uh, build up to uh, to fight night in Vegas. It'll be behind closed doors at the Apex. They're still doing those. Um, and uh, you never know, we might even get some more news about what else is coming down the line. I mean, we've heard rumours about the UFC coming to London. Um, if it's true, and they're looking to do it um, in August, which is which is the rumour, you would imagine they're going to have to announce it relatively soon because they're going to want to shift tickets. They're going to need to book fights. Um, so... Who knows? Maybe next week we might have a bit more news. But uh, lots going on. And uh, looking forward to unpacking it all with you right here on the Brit Pack. Sandu, I think that pretty much wraps us up, doesn't it? That's it, mate. Um, so everyone can find us on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can do us a solid favor, rate and review us. When you do that, it helps the show get found on that particular platform. But if you just go to thebritpackmma.com, that's thebritpackmma.com, there you will find links to the shows. You will find links to the show on social media, Simon's social media accounts, as well as mine. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Yes, and YouTube is coming, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. YouTube is coming. So uh, I was going to say enjoy the fights. That's normally what I say at the end of the show. But... uh... (laughs) Enjoy your week off, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, whatever it is you're doing, uh, whether you're watching the Indy 500 like me or you're watching the NBA playoffs like Sandu. But um, have a good one. We'll be back next week, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll tee up a busy week in the month of June. But until then, we'll speak to you soon.